Hello there. Welcome to the World Cafe Podcast. This podcast has been designed with created content that centers on the power of words. Can we really do anything without speaking? Can we really do anything without the agency of words? Yes, that is what this podcast is all about. And I am your host, Amakri Isui, your neighborhood work trader. I believe in the power of words. For it is the unit of creation I trade in words to profit my world. Hello there. How are we all doing? Yes, I'm going to begin with that line again. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good everything. How are you all doing? Amazing. I'm super, super excited coming to this space again. You know how we say it on the show. This is the space where we come in to lean on one that others experience to forge a positive path. How are you? I'm good where I am. It's been a little bit sunny, you know, humid and all of that. Yes. So what do we have today? Yes, you're seeing it on the screen. Her love for oil and gas. Energy hero, I describe her. I have a wonderful personality on the show today. Yes, I tried calling her name. I, you know, I said, okay, what's your name? And she said, well, you, you have to scratch your throat somehow to pronounce my name. Her name is Carol Nakel. I wish I tried. I think when she comes on, she will tell us more. And uh, we'll bring her in a super wonderful personality. I'll allow her to do all the intros. She loves energy and she is a hero within that space. Where is she? Who am I talking about now? And there she is. Hello, Carol. Hello. How are you? I'm good. So let's begin with that wonderful name so that my audience will appreciate calling you. And you know, my surname is partly beautiful because it's part of who I am and partly, I I think, an obstacle for people to recognize my name because the pronunciation is pretty Arabic. You have to be an Arabic speaker to be able to pronounce Mm. it properly. And it actually means palm tree. Uh, So... Mm. Uh, the word is nakhli. That's why I said, imagine that you have a sore throat and then you need to itch your, th- your throat so it goes like So that's the sound, kh. K-H in Arabic is kh. So my surname yeah. is nakhli. Nakhli, beautiful. And you say there's a palm tree. And I think the description of that name, as in the palm tree, it survives in every weather every terrain and everything about the palm tree is productive it is economically viable and all that beautiful beautiful i never thought about it this way but i know one thing is i definitely like warm weather more than cold mm-hmm. weather even though i've been living in the uk since 98 i still mm-hmm. worship the sun so i'm one of those sun worshippers and uh, but i never thought mm-hmm. about the nakhle the palm tree surviving in various conditions but they are definitely survivals Yes. You know, when you look at the palm tree in depth, way back from school, you know, when we studied economic, uh, what do you call it now, uh, plants or products and all that, you look at the palm tree, the leaf, the fruit, the stem, the root, somehow finds its way into every, I mean, strata of the economy, you know, if you look at that. So maybe you go back and look at, uh, dig deep a little. I think that's why you are 
strategic in what you do well. That's by the way. So let us get to meet this wonderful individual who loves oil and gas, who loves energy and is thriving in that space. Who is Dr. Carol Nakley? Oh, you might be laughing. You said I love oil and gas. Actually, I don't have a particular love for any fuel. It's not like I drink oil and gas the first thing in the morning, but I love the subject. I love energy because energy, we cannot live without energy. We need energy to meet our very basic needs wherever we are around the world. So that's why I'm so passionate about the subject. Well, just to give you a bit of background very briefly about myself, I'm originally from Lebanon and I was born, I grew up during during the civil war. For those of you who are aware of the very lengthy and brutal civil war that Lebanon went through. And I think growing up in that environment has definitely shaped who I am. And it's also partly why I am so passionate about energy. Because here I am, I live in a rich country, well-developed economy, where we never have to Mm. worry about having power cuts, unless, of course, you have a problem uh, with your generator. But really, I've been here since 98. I never recall having a power cut. You don't have to worry about Mm. your hot water to take a shower. So, you know, when you have to go to work, you wake up within 20 minutes, hot water is there, shower, get ready, dry your hair, and then move on. This doesn't happen in an energy poor country. Uh, so during the civil war, we didn't really have access to electricity. I grew up studying at the candlelight. And I remember my favorite activity at that time was making shapes from the wax of the candles. We didn't have clean water mm. and taking a shower was a big thing because we wouldn't do it regularly. So we do it once a week or even once mm. every couple of weeks. And that was a major okay. undertaking to heat the water, get ready. And then, so I had all this background and then coming to the UK and see the other side uh, of the world, how they live, it was, of course, an eye-opener. But And I wanted to learn more about how we make access to energy affordable and reliable to all the people around the world. And that occurred to me that actually, when I'm in the rich world, you don't really understand what it means to be energy poor. You don't really understand what it means to be deprived of this very basic, important aspect of human being. And that also got me even more involved in this sector. When I talk about energy security, when I talk about oil and gas, it's not that because I'm in love with oil and gas. Actually, of course, I would love to save the planet and save the climate, but I'm also conscious about um, the need for realism in a very polarized debate. There are lots of people around the world, in developing countries around the world, in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, when I've been to the poorest uh, countries in sub-Saharan Africa, they need to meet their basic need. They need affordable energy and reliable energy. Mm. And at the moment, green energy alone cannot give them that. And we should stop preaching those countries and telling them what to do. We should guide them and work with them hand in hand. So this is in a nutshell Mm. what shaped my career in the field of energy and how I would like to position myself in the global debate on energy, on climate change, on energy security, and all sorts of energy, not just oil and gas but I definitely love the subject I talk about it from morning to evening non-stop and I don't get bored from it and I don't see myself retiring anytime soon (laughs) you know from I mean the energy with which you deliver this clearly shows She's, she's, she's positioned herself on this subject matter and to defend it anywhere. Considering you have tasted the two worlds, if I must use that now, you know, coming from that region where energy 
uh, I mean, sustainability is, is, I mean, is a big challenge. And now on the other side where you just like, you turn on the faucet, something like that, and the water, the energy is flowing and all of that. Very good. Let me not get you started on that yet because we're going to come to that. Now, I was going through your profile and I saw, I mean, clearly you, you studied with Stanford University and you studied there and all of us, I mean, I wouldn't say all of us, and now you are also lecturing there. Clearly, this individual is in love with, I mean, books and uh, reading and all of that. Can you share a little bit with us your story within Stanford as a student and now as sorry. a lecturer? Or a guest sorry, lecturer. university. Yeah. So, so okay. uh, when I so, came to sorry. the UK, I, sorry, I came to the University of Sorry to do my master's degree. So I did my first degree in Lebanon and economic science, and it was in a French system. So it was a local university that follows the French system because I'm originally French educated. And I could barely speak English. I knew the basic grammar. We had one hour per week. But I, I wanted to try something different because all my classmates who traveled abroad, they selected France. And I felt I wanted to experience something different, something more challenging. You know, my friends sometimes call me a salmon because the salmon swims against the current. So mm. I came to the UK originally for one year to do a master's degree in uh, finance and back at school at the university in Lebanon I used to be easily among the top students when I came to the UK on my first assignment I had the lowest grade that was a big shock to my system and then it turned out that actually I had to adapt to the English educational system which was very very different from what I learned in all my previous years in education so that I found yeah. more exciting and I avoided mingling with people who spoke Arabic because I had to improve my English. I bought back then a TV for 30 pounds, which was a big sum for a student and because it had the teletext. <laughs> so you could hear and read at the same and time. Read. And that's how I improved my English exactly to learn how to pronounce and also see how the word is, um, is written. And after mm. that, you know, I passed and everything was fine i thought all right and back then i was still we were talking about i was maybe 20 21 years old and i felt i could do more because i loved the english system so much and the whole life in the uk was very different and i decided to pursue a phd um, back then they thought i was too young for the phd i didn't have the background energy so i did one extra year called mphil which exposed me to energy subjects and then i transferred to phd and i graduated i think i was 26 years old with a phd in energy economics now why mm -hmm. sorry sorry it was the only university in the uk that gave a degree in energy economics so you do have mm -hmm. energy related subjects at other universities but not as energy economics and during my phd I did two things. First of all, as part of your PhD, you are offered some tutoring. So I started giving some very simple lectures. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I needed two things. I needed to, the money because my dad said, okay, I cannot sponsor you for a PhD. You have to sponsor it yourself. And I did yourself. not have the time to apply for a scholarship. And so I needed the money. And then I needed to improve my English. So I mm. tried to work at McDonald's. I barely survived there. I knew it was not my place. Maybe I worked one or two days and I resigned. I worked in one store for selling uh, beauty products. I worked for one month, made 400 pounds, which was pretty good, but also did not work for me. I actually worked as a belly dancing teacher, which I <laughs> loved. But uh, again, that kept me fit, but I did not, you know, and maybe it helped me with the money, but it did not help me with the English that much. 
until I found a part-time teaching job in London. So I was based in Guildford. And I remember taking the first student who failed his previous um, exams. And when I told mm. him he passed with a B, that captured the attention of the director there. And then they started giving me mm. more private students, then more classes. And it all mm -hmm. built up over the years when I was doing my PhD that even I ended up having, I taught the, the late former president of Zambia, I taught him mm. basic economics. So really teaching then became part of my day-to-day -day life and I established great relationship with my students, some of whom I'm still on very good terms even today. And I realized that I still love teaching. It's one of the things I I enjoy doing when you go to the university. And so with Sari, I continue teaching over the years and I have one module which yeah. I've been teaching now for many, many years. If, of course, the content changes over the years. Um, but going there, looking at the student, interacting with them, they are a completely different audience from when you go to a conference. Mm. They keep you on your toes. They have a completely different perspective, fresh perspective, and teaching mm. keeps you grounded. And there's nothing more mm. rewarding than when you receive an email from a student telling, the, telling you how grateful they were for all the knowledge that you have uh, transferred to them. And I don't see myself stopping teaching. So in all my previous jobs, the full-time jobs, I always had one condition that I wanted to maintain mm. my teaching, even if it was a few hours on a Friday. Um, so it's an interesting journey and I love to see my students succeeding later on and contact me and telling me we became this, we became that. I just, I just love it. Amazing. You, you, you have a very unique story. You know, when you said they describe you, your friends call you the Salmon. Uh, you swim against because the salmon swims against the current and it's like that's a light bulb moment because that's why salmon if you go to the market you're looking for fish to buy and you, you point at the salmon it's pretty expensive because they swim against the current they build this unique ability and what have you and that's what you've done and you've done so many things and even within that you are still swimming against the current proving a lot of people wrong and even like taking your place within that space now I see you were awarded in 2021, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, as the award-winning CEO and founder of Crystal Crystal Energy. How 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 did you go about finding, or rather founding, I beg your pardon, that company, the, the Crystal Energy? It all goes back to 2012. Back then I was working, so I had a few years in the industry. I worked before in academia, a special parliamentary advisor here in the UK Parliament. I worked with international organizations, IMF, World Bank, Commonwealth Secretariat, and uh, any and Statoil, which is today Equinor. But then I felt that I tried all this and they were all amazing. I learned in all the jobs I uh, took, but they did not, did not give me the satisfying um, answer to what I want my career to be, what, what suits my personality most. I mean, I wouldn't take, if I send my CV, I always tell my friends, if I send my CV to any company, just to HR uh, for a job, one job uh, advertised, I don't think I'm going to tick many of the boxes because I built my career differently from, let's say, this chronological development. I was riding several horses at the same time, and that's how I like it. Mm -hmm. And I also like to work with a wide range of stakeholders. I didn't want to work only for companies. I didn't want to work only for academia. I didn't want to work only for government. I wanted to bring these players together. And the only way mm -hmm. I could do that was by setting up my own company. 
And I like the challenge because I never tried. I hear people having their own business, but I didn't know what that entails. Uh, so what that entailed. So until I tried it myself. And the good news is that as soon as I started the company, we had a contract. Uh, of course, it was a one, one woman show at the beginning and I had the support of some friends. And gradually, actually for two years, I didn't tell many people I had a company because I was worried it might fail. And I thought, okay, if it fails, then fine. Nobody will know about it. They know that I was, you know, still teaching at the university. But then gradually I started to build that confidence that it wasn't something to be ashamed of, especially that I was doing something I truly enjoyed. Mm -hmm. I loved, I mean, it can be a roller coaster, but I love this roller coaster. I love the flexibility that gave me. I love the fact that I could go on TV, to a conferences and saying what I believed in without having a communication department telling me you can say this, you cannot say that, which is of course very common when you work for a well-established big organization. So all that for me, even though the money was less than when you are in an established full-time job, but for me, the mm -hmm. flexibility and the challenge of setting up something from scratch and building a global name, uh, you know, being referred to globally, international media, quoted in international media, and starting from really nothing, not even, you know, zero capital, I just registered the company and found an accountant. That is by itself something that um, I will always remember with, a pro with pride. I don't care how much money, you know, somebody makes, mm. what, make, what makes you more fulfilled at least for me is to feel that i have achieved something that i can easily say i did it myself nobody gave it to me and it's priceless that's the key amazing amazing now now, now I, I i love the way you look at life and the world the outlook you're not putting before you like money but rather value you want to create value you want to leave should i say a legacy something better I came, I met this thing, I want to make it Absolutely. better. Not necessarily, I want to amass wealth and all of that. Beautiful. Now, to the subject that you are always enthralled with, as in when you talk about it, like, I mean, your eyes come alive. The energy, oil and gas. You know, recently I've been following uh, Alex Epstein. I think you, you should know him. His thoughts on the fossil future, fossil energy. Uh, energy and all that we've been having a lot of this course going back and forth you know the developing world grappling with it the quote-unquote developed world trying to like fly the kite of uh, uh, green energy and all that how do we balance this discourse because energy is important to our survival absolutely i mean we need energy to survive we need and not only that we need energy and cheap energy to lift the millions and billions of people out of poverty around the world. It's a very simple equation. If you want people to become more productive, you give them access to energy. So let's keep it very simple. You cannot work, let's say, after sunset if you don't have energy. You cannot keep your factories running if you don't have uh, electricity. So, of course, it's a very basic simple relationship between energy consumption and economic growth and productivity. Now, where does this energy come from? At the moment, more than 82% of the world energy mix comes from oil, coal, and gas. 
And this is not good from a climate perspective. So the advocate of um, green energy say we need to tilt the equation and make the majority of our energy mix coming from renewable energy such as solar and wind, hydropower and green energy like renewable energy. But we have to be realistic. So this is an aim that we are all aspiring for. Can it happen overnight? Absolutely not. Is it going to happen in the next few years? Definitely not. These things take time to happen. You have to change not only mindset, you don't have to change just behavior. You have to change regulations, policies, infrastructure, you name it. So we cannot create this kind of giant leap. Even the rich countries are struggling with their mm. with the progress. You cannot just go and and tell the poor countries, those who don't have a car to start with, who never own the car, or those who don't have access to electricity, to stop consuming or reduce their energy consumption to save the planet, especially when their contribution to climate change is really minimal compared to what we see from the industrialized countries. Of course, they should all work together, but we should bring a degree of realism to this polarized debate, an unrealistic debate. And that's why I tell my friends here in the UK, I tell them, don't say, you know, Sierra Leone, just because you visited Freetown on a holiday or two weeks. Go and mm -hmm. live there for a few months, just like the locals, <laughs> to get a flavor of the struggle these people go through day to day. Don't tell me you went on a safari to, I don't know, mm. um, uh, some of the countries in Africa, and therefore you know the country. Go and live there, and then you appreciate. But that said, it's not just about poor and rich. I see mm. protesters here in the UK. I mean, the way yeah. they are stopping day-to-day -day normal activity to convey a message, no matter how noble the message is, this is going to backfire. People are getting frustrated because there are people who want to get to work, people who want to take their children to schools. Last year, mm. one of the students at the university where I was speaking as a guest of honor at a graduation, missed his graduation because of the traffic caused by just stop oil. Now, this is oh. not good, but this is not how we convince people to change behavior. You lead by example, but it's important to have an open dialogue and a rational dialogue. Um, so yeah. there's lots of crazy things happening on the climate change agenda. It's actually going to slow down the energy transition, not accelerate it. Now, I, I quite appreciate your submission here with respect to, you know, somebody tell, telling me, maybe because he visited once or twice, a country in Africa and you think you have an understanding of that country, you know, maybe in Sub-Sahara or the North or, you know, uh, Southern Africa. You don't. When you live there, you come to see the challenges they face with respect to energy, uh, access to energy and all of that. I really love that submission. Now, again, we see a lot of people, you know, go up, protest, the stop oil thing and all that. And when you look at everything they are wearing from head to toe, it's a, it's a byproduct of oil, even the, the stickers they are carrying and all of that. And it's like, do you really understand what you're doing? So I, I really appreciate that. But I want you to school my audience a little bit on the subject of energy, access to energy. And from your perspective, the best way to go about that, like you said, is not like the flip of your finger or you turn off the switch or something. It is a gradual process. Let's hear your thoughts on this. I wish I can 
give you an answer in the short time that we have because otherwise would I would have saved the planet let's put it that way it's there is no <laughs> silver bullet yeah no one solution and this is a plain mm-hmm. fact because you're talking about a global problem but completely different conditions even here in the in Europe look at the EU is the most aggressive region when it comes to fighting climate change they have the most ambitious targets and very ambitious policies yeah and on a, an, an aggregate level the EU has a very diversified energy mix which means that they have not only oil and gas and coal but they also use lots of renewable lots of um, nuclear energy that is beautiful on a general picture but when you look at individual countries Poland an EU country the share of coal which is the most polluting fossil fuel in terms of greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide emissions the share of coal in the electricity generation in Poland is higher than that in China now of course on absolute values China is by far a bigger consumer just to give you an idea that even in the rich world and the developed economies they still have they are struggling to achieve significant progress in that respect what how we what we can do we have to work on many aspects on the demand side on the supply side on the demand side changing in behavior it will happen gradually you know improvements in technology i'm a strong believer in in technological progress i mean look at us talking each other each other and we are in different countries technology exactly. we should underestimate the progress in technology but you need an environment that enables that technology to flourish and this is where you think about government policy i personally living been living here in the uk since 98 i don't drive a car partly because of climate concerns but also partly because i can't imagine myself driving in these narrow roads next to these monstrous bus around but that is perhaps my contribution but at the same time i look at my windows at home are they well insulated when we during this um the uh, corona pandemic i was stranded first in the uae i went for holidays and i got stuck there then we moved to germany and where we went to germany was a very very old house the last time it was cleaned was 32 years ago you would be sitting yeah. in the living room and the windows are so badly insulated you would see the lamp moving because of the wind so really froze to death but what i did i just bought on amazon these kind of things that you put around the window frame to insulate it and that made a huge huge difference to the heating in the house now of course these are very minor examples but these are important examples on individual level am i going to save the planet because i don't own a car or i did the insulation of my old windows in germany of course not it makes me feel good but it does not make a huge difference the big difference would be when you have technological progress especially when it comes to green energy storage of energy because when the sun is not shining you cannot use solar power except if you mm-hmm. have some batteries but even there you don't have long life for that when the wind is not blowing you cannot really use wind power so until that happens until that technology becomes more established more proven more commercial more widely used we have to be realistic we continue with oil and gas and to much less extent coal we support mm. investment in these areas but more sustainably we don't say we don't want oil and gas and then suffer from high prices as we saw last year for example mm. so we should consciously cool. say we need all the sources of energy that are out there but we can produce them more sustainably we can make the companies for example stop burning gas in Iraq mm. in the Middle East i think if i'm not mistaken they burn more gas that's what we call gas flaring than they gas consume flaring. locally 
imagine how mm. much saving yeah how much nigeria is also big on gas sure. sparing that is a waste of an important resource let alone it has a big environmental footprint so before saying stop oil and gas we should work on the areas where we can minimize the impact of oil and gas on the mm. environment until the technology for green energy is more usable more proven then we can ditch oil and gas investment and all live happily uh, after after amazing thank you dr kara thank you so much for this submission the truth i mean just like you 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 you, you lay the cards out it doesn't happen in one day like we'll say rome was not built in one day it took a lot of years and what have you to to, to come up with that uh empire and all of that but i, I think we, we we still need to have this conversation every now and then you know like educating ourselves and all of that now i know you're very busy very busy and you took out this time to do this with us on the on the show and i want to say a very big thank you i'm going to ask you this question with respect to the energy investment in africa which i want to believe you have i mean some knowledge of what is going on do you think we have enough investment now you know to to drive the conversation and at the same time to grow the energy mix in africa do you think we have that now one thing that amazes me about Africa is how rich it is with all sorts of resources, particularly energy resources. And mind you, it's not only about oil or gas. You also have all sorts of metals and minerals which are important for the energy transition. So when you want to build solar panels or wind turbines or batteries for electric vehicles, you need lithium, cobalt, all sorts of metals and minerals. And Africa is extremely rich in those. So yes, there are some investment in Africa. Is it commensurate with its potential? Definitely not. I think Africa has much bigger potential than what we are seeing today. Now, why investment is not happening at the same scale? Of course, investment is happening, but I'm talking about the relative scale, especially when you take consideration your potential, the potential of the continent. It's a combination of factors, but for me, from my experience, one of the main handicaps has been the institutional framework, and in some countries, the stability, political stability. Mm. Political stability is not only about having a war or having some insurgents here and there, terrorist actions, it's also policy stability. Um, where governments can change their mind, you know, suddenly. Because investors, after all, and I work for private investors, I am working, you know, as a private company. Then when they look mm. at where they put their capital, especially if you're talking about international capital, they are not focusing on Nigeria. They are not only focusing on, uh, I don't know, South Africa. They look at the globe mm. and they look at where can they achieve the best rate of return on their investment? Sure, where sure. can they make most reward, not only for one year or two for many years to come because investment is about committing your capital today and you wait mm. for the rewards to happen in the coming years so wow. it's a commitment of capital and if they they cannot secure their threat of return because of bad terms bad contracts you know with the government or a government that changes its policies overnight so you you are an investor you want to commit millions of dollars today and you want to stay in that business for the next 10 15 20 years but then you have a government that suddenly every year enact a new policy, then you say, no, hold on, the political risk is too high for me. I'd rather go elsewhere. So if African countries 
work on tackling the institutional framework, the policy issues, the regulations aspect, they give greater certainty for investors. I'm not saying, when I say that, sometimes people think I'm saying, oh, should governments offer low tax rates? No. The answer is not low tax rate. Actually, low tax rates are rarely stable and they can cause more problem. I say competitive mm -hmm. tax rates, but at the same time, a robust institutional framework that gives the investors the confidence to come and put money in your country and stay there for many years to come. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for this. I mean, uh, you're not far Thank from you. the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you're not far from the truth. I didn't lay in this framework. And uh, uh, we, we see a bright future. We, we look forward to that that picture you have painted now. That framework that will support the right investors and investment. Now, I'm going to ask you a personal question with respect to how you spend your time, how you unwind, how you build all of this energy. How do you do that? Because listening to you is like, the energy, the energy that flows from you is amazing. It's palpable. How do you do that? Thank you. I'm glad you can feel it through the virtually. Um, well, look, first of all, if I'm doing something I love, I don't think I will run out of energy, even though sometimes, you know, physically, of course, you get tired. And my biggest uh, challenge is the fact that I have a four years old uh, daughter and she was born just one year before the pandemic hit so she spent oh. an important period of her life in lockdown um, so all that is very demanding parenthood is very demanding and it's um, it's not I don't know how I mean I, I don't have the answer but I do it naturally I don't think too much about it about balancing between mm -hmm. motherhood and at the same time working on things I love and I'm passionate about because I came to the conclusion that if I don't pursue if I just become a full-time mom and there are lots of full-time moms out there who I respect a lot including my mother and starting with my mother but I felt that you know I would be ditching something I love very much that is my work the fact that I need to mm. think you know ch be challenged academically and intellectually and and I need that to be able to be maybe a better mom and also I need to be a good mom mm. to be a better leader so they complement each other and that's how I see them it is exhausting sometimes especially when I have to travel because I keep my trips short and that you know I think the last time I had my eight hours of sleep was before June 2018 <laughs> so that was the last time I had my eight hours of daily sleep and I would love to, to regain that but again yeah. I keep my eyes on the future I say it's just a temporary period mm -hmm. and then it will pass so yesterday I'm working super hard because of my daughter in addition to my work but I mean it's a question of time before my daughter stops even calling me you know and so I would I would want her to call me like uh, every day or every minute uh, so I just look at it in this way I say it's just a phase it's an investment mm -hmm and my daughter's future, in my um, sanity and in my work. Uh, and it's worth the effort. It's like studying at the university. You have many sleepless nights, but when you graduate, you forget about all those sleepless nights. Beautiful. You keep your eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on the future. Just knowing that what you're Absolutely. doing, I mean, what, is what is going on now is temporary and it's a phase, it will pass and you will regain that balance. I enjoy, I mean, I love the way you submitted that. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol. Guys, we have been discussing with Dr. Carol. I mean, you will agree with me, her energy is, I mean, off the chart. 
the way she delivers and everything. We, we, we're so glad she took out this time to come do this with us. Before I let you go, what's that word you have for young millennials, young minds out there, you know, who are also yearning to be in, in, in that space where you are? I mean, to grow, to, 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 to build resilience and all of that. What do you have to share with them? Follow your own passion and don't let people impact you negatively. So people express their opinions and views about things. Listen to them, you know, take their advice, Mm -hmm. but always pursue what you really believe in because nobody knows your capabilities better than yourself. Nobody knows what makes you happy better than yourself because we're not always super transparent with others. And each one, even if I give you now an advice, it's coming from my own experience, which is very different from yours. But also, don't give up easily. You know, there is one motto I I read many years ago and, and I always use it and I remember it. The difficult we do today the impossible will take a little bit longer. And I just mm. fall in love, fell in love with that. And I still in love <laughs> with that expression that nothing yeah. is impossible. It just takes a little bit longer if you really want to do it. So I know you can go through a very difficult time. I promise you, I went through very challenging times. And I know I will go even through more challenging times in the future. But this does not make mm. me give up on my dreams. Do not give up on your dreams. You heard her, guys. Do not give up on your dreams. Nobody knows you like you. I love that. Nobody knows you like you. Amazing. I am super, super excited and grateful for this opportunity. Guys, you know how we say it on the show. This is the space where we come to lean on one another's experience to forge a positive path. And today, Dr. Carol Nakle has given us, I, I I hope I tried with that name again, has given us much her, better. Her, her, much yes, better. her own energy within the space that we can ride on sailing into the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, you know, time is not our friend. Each time we come on the show like this, when we're discussing something very juicy and interesting, but don't worry, we will come back again with something interesting. Thank you so much. Okay. Till I come your way again. You know how we say it. Bye for now. Dr. Carol. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome time it has been with you on the World Cafe podcast today. Thank you for being there. You can catch me up on my social media handles, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, all at Amakri Isoboye. Also, you can get copies of my books, A Cocktail of Words, The Color of Words by H. Aaron Notebook, and Hawker's Focus on God on Amazon and Roving Heights online bookstores. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel at the same address at Amakri Isoway. I love to hear from you and how this podcast has impacted you. You can leave me a message at my email address, amakrigaribaldi at gmail.com. That is A-M-A-C-H-R-E-E-G-A-R-I-B-A-L-D-I. Yes, till I come your way again. Bye for now.